This is the Yay. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is the Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! <laughs> Fantastic guest, Lauren Grace. Uh, Lauren from uh, San Diego, but uh, she has had a very long uh, theater career in the Bay Area for 15 years, I believe. Lauren, from this morning, this afternoon. How am I? Yes, how are you? Well, I'm rather warm because I'm outside in San Diego, my garden, and it's warm and sunny. Um, I had a lovely morning with my son. We went out for a a coffee and a a wander around the park, so that was a beautiful beginnings. And now I get to talk with you guys. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. And uh, people may see there's something new in our little banner here, but we are sponsored by... I don't. Oh, you don't see it. We are sponsored. I do by, see it. Yeah, by Central Works, the new play theater where uh, they are reinvent, reinventing theater one play at a time. And there I can't go. tell you how thrilled I am that we finally have a sponsorship. We've been doing this for what three years, Norman, and uh, finally, oh, hey. yeah. So hopefully, it's the start of uh, great things. Um, well, I'm, I'm sure that, it is. Yeah, I'm hoping you deserve that deserve it. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, hoping mm-hmm. the theater companies will realize that you know we can advertise for them and we can have you know a good partnership. Um, so, in any case, yes, I want to thank Central Works. And uh, as I begin each podcast, each episode, how was your week, Norman? My week has all been mostly about Maddie May. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have that. That's going to be a Zoom reading, the new right. play by Jeannie Baroga. I don't know how new it is, but uh, it'll be new. It, well, it has not been produced. Uh, Playwrights often have plays that have been sitting on their shelves. This is one. Um, And we started working on it. She started working on it in 2012. And I love her story. Um, Jeannie and I have known each other since I was in college. And we have both stayed active in theater. So as I was kind of moving through my career, I wanted to reach out to those people I knew who were also doing it. And we got together. We were going for a hike in the Headlands, Marin Headlands. And I said I had just learned, I was curious about, uh, there's a Buffalo Soldier. The Buffalo Soldiers were stationed in Yosemite. Mm. They were stationed here at the Presidio in San Francisco. And then they were moved to Yosemite to help keep the Indians out. And then they got sent to the Philippines. I didn't know that piece. She's like, yeah, they were in the Philippines. It's a big deal. And there's a whole history around it. And that was the beginning of Buffaloed. And that was the beginning of us having these um, collaborations. So Maddie May is set in Richmond uh, at the end of the uh, World War II. Yeah. And we are doing our best. Reg is in the show. He's one of the characters that is trying to show you the whole... 15 actors are trying to show you the whole city of Richmond as it balloons, like almost quadruples in size in three years. So... Yeah, it's a wonderful piece. She really has a nice slice of life where you get people from different cultures, different uh, classes, uh, building together. And, you know, there's some good people, there's some bad people. And Maddie Mae is right there in the center with her little cafe, bringing yeah. people in and out. So it's a really nice slice of life and really wonderful writing by Jeannie. So I'm excited. That'll be, we'll advertise it later on. That'll be next week. Uh, and uh, if you want to uh, sit in on the Zoom reading or participate. That's what uh, I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah, we'll have that posted on, uh, the, um, on our uh, Facebook. And also, I don't, know, I don't know if Jeannie will have a limited, um, an, a limited audience. Well, 100. So oh. not very limited. Okay, cool. Um, 
I mean, limited, but not limited. I mean, you think about the typical reading, which is lucky to have more than a couple of dozen people. You know, if we if we even are half full, we are more than double that. So, yeah. so folks who are look, listening to us either via Facebook, if you just clicked on the Facebook link, or via YouTube, in the comment section, ask me <clears throat> or Norman, hey, send me a link, and we'll send you a link. So, yeah. All righty. So there. Fantastic. Yeah, there have been some current events, and uh, last night it just broke my heart. John Lewis, oh right, the longtime civil rights leader uh, and the longtime member of the House of Representatives, uh, passed away at eighty after a long fight. I believe it was uh, pancreatic cancer. Probably, uh, yeah, yeah. He was very, very sad, and he's dear, he's near and dear to my heart because uh, the civil rights. I mean, the the civil rights movement is something that I've been. It's, it's something that I've been focusing on and, you know, growing up in D.C., we were constantly reminded of the, the civil rights movement and the works of Dr. King and Ralph Abernathy and Ralph Bunch and Andrew Young and all of them. And uh, I, I was very, very, very familiar with SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, mm-hmm. and John Lewis was the head. He was the founder of that before it got taken over by Stokely Carmichael and the more right. radical uh, version of that. And he has a wonderful book. I've talked about it all the time, Walking with the Wind. If anyone wants to read more on the great life of John Lewis, Walking with the Wind is fantastic. And I think he has a a documentary out. Uh, Right now, yeah. I think there's a documentary out. Yeah. I forget what it is. Uh, Oh, shucks. Um, I'll look it up. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, yeah. So that, you know, that's what's going on. And it's interesting that him and another, there's another civil rights leader who passed away. This is all in the midst of the Black Lives Matter uh, movement, uh, and people are, you know, rethinking um, what their relationship is with, I guess, the Black community and the Black community's uh, relationship with America. It's happening in the NFL. Um, people are think, talk, talking about COVID-19 and how that's affected the Black community and other minority communities as well. So um, yeah. these are interesting times. It, truly. <laughs> truly. <laughs> To say the um, I, do you have other um, uh, current events? Because I would like to talk a little bit about Central Works. Oh, well, sure. Well, um, so there is some local news. Okay, so uh, we had a guest, Eli Sonny Orkiza, and he put out a, um, uh, a, I think it's called an open letter uh, on Facebook. Basically, living. It's a living document or living letter, something like that. It's a living document and basically asking all actors and uh, artists of color uh, to talk about their experiences in the Bay Area community, specifically any bad experiences that, that they've had. And it, re- it got uh, notice from, I believe it was a KQED. They did an article on it. And um, to make a long story short, there were quite a few individuals who had some um, adverse things to say about a couple of theater companies. Um, oh, I think almost everyone. <laughs> Yeah. Well, really, yeah, I mean, I didn't go through the whole list, but yeah. I did survey quite a few, and I was like, you know, it's it's weird. Go ahead, though. Well, uh, I just, you know, um, I don't have a lot of thoughts about it. I mean, I think um, Plethos uh, escaped clean. You know, they they were well, listed. they're barely two years old. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But really, Corinne, I mean, leadership comes from the top down. So when you talk about a theater company coming into a theater company, and we love your uh, perspective on this, Lauren, because yeah. You've been a part of this for like 15 years, being in mm-hmm. the Bay Area. And as a woman, you can talk about, let's say, any, any bad experiences you may have had. Um, 
but yeah, but I think when you have good leadership and individuals who really care about the actors and about the well-being, not so much about, you care about having a good product on stage, but not at the expense of actors being uncomfortable. Well, yeah, I would, and I would widen the lens on this because I, as I read through some of them, I stopped scrolling. I didn't get to the Central Works thing before I had already read at least three or four, because they're threads. Somebody will say Berkeley Rep, and then a bunch of actors will pipe in with, oh, I know about that, or I was in that show, or this also happened to me. So I went through a bunch of that, and what I noticed is some of it was very specific and issues around bias and racial um, dynamics. Yeah. Uh, But some of it was just what you just said. People need, we need to take better care of people. Just because you're doing that dream artistic project that you're putting together, you can't put that together at the expense of the people that you are asking to collaborate with you. If you're not taking care of everybody, then you're not doing a good job. Yeah. I don't care how beautiful the end result is. Exactly. I have a couple of thoughts, but I want to hear from you, Lauren. I mean, what okay. good or bad examples have you had? And what do you think just about, you know, the, uh, I don't even know if you even knew about this project. And it's now expanded to the United States. I think there's a um, white, pe- white people theater, listen, um, I, I don't know what the national uh, letter is. But uh, these, you know, this open forum has now gone to a national level. But what are your thoughts, Lauren, about? about well, I did have a, an actor friend recently share with me some of the, the things that were going on, and it doesn't really shock me because I think of the times that we're in, and I think what's important to me is that everyone has an opportunity to have a voice, and I think what happens is is there's always a hierarchy, there's always a status situation going on. And I think as as an actor, you're often in service, you're in a service position, you know, someone else has the power. And that's been my experience. It's like, you're always asking for approval, asking for a job. And so what's important to me is now that everybody has a chance to speak up about their experiences so that they're not feeling like they don't have a voice, that they don't have permission to speak up and say, this wasn't right. This was a boundary that was crossed. I felt bad about it ever since. I've had to talk about it in therapy, but I can't put it to rights because it will ruin my career or I won't get right. hired again or, you know, those kinds of things. That's that's where it's very tricky. And one yeah, of the things Harvey- about not being an actor anymore is I don't have to be in that position anymore. And I actually love not being in that position, to be honest. Mm-hmm. When I think about going back to acting, it's like, God, then I have to go be a beggar again. And that's the thought I have, and it's horrid, but it's true in a sense it from my true. experience, you know? Well, I mean, and we, we saw go. this all play out with Harvey Weinstein, that whole scandal. Oh. Um, the oh, stories yeah. of people, and people who we all knew, faces yes. that we knew, and their careers were halted yeah. because of a bad interaction with that man. Exactly. You know, that's what cool. I'm talking about. Yeah, it's horrible to hear that, Lauren, because, you know, you're, you were such a wonderful presence on stage. Uh, you and I, we worked together during the Gorilla Shakespeare Company's version of Othello. And, That's right. Uh, you know, your, your um, collaboration and the chemistry that you had with Paul Santiago was just amazing. Um, yes. But, oh, but- you were in that. I think I'm going to that. <laughs> yeah, I was Desdemona, and oh. Paul Santiago was Othello, and then mm-hmm. uh, Paul and I were together for five years after that. So, yes, we did have chemistry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, that's fantastic, and we we love hearing those stories about you know love 
coming yeah. with the it, it it does happen uh and that was at the old phoenix that was when linda airs frederick had the phoenix at geary uh, yeah but when i hear you know an individual and i've heard you know a couple of individuals who aren't in theater anymore because of what you just said because they yeah. were tired of i guess being treated like chattel or being you know treated not not feeling that they are part of the collaborative process you know when i think when i think of myself as an actor and it's one something that we at the yay try to tell young actors who may listen to the show that you're not just an employee but you're part of the creative process and a lot of times when i audition for a company they're auditioning for me you know that's they right ask me and i may say well i don't know if i want to work with you guys you know we had crystal p and monty Zhang, and she would say that she would go out to her friends and say hey listen you work with this company are they you know how do they how do they treat you mm -hmm. so I think when well, I, I, I worked with Richard side on noises off, but I also oh. after that started taking his class or it was one, one or the other, I was taking his class and then I was in noises off something like that. No, mm -hmm. no, it was the other way around. Anyway. Um, the point is, is, is he, he stated, you know, when you go for an audition, you are auditioning them at the same time that they are auditioning you. And, and that just gave me a perspective I didn't have before, you know, and it put me, it gave me some power back in the situation of like, well, is this really where I want to be? Do I want to work with these people? Mm -hmm. Does it feel right? You know, do I take the job just because they offer it to me because I'm so lucky to, to do it? Or do, do, do I get to have a say in this, you know? And I just think that that was a really great thing I got from Richard's side during that time that I studied along with other things. But yeah, he's right. a great teacher. No, yeah, that's absolutely true. And, and I'll throw this back to you, Norman. As a director, as someone who, you know, especially when you're involved in casting, uh, do you often think about that in the back of your head? Not only am I seeing if this person will fit in the show, but I want to present the best person that I can be or that the company that I'm working with can be to take that to them. I thought you were going to ask me if I was like checking them out. Oh, she's cute. Hmm. Maybe <laughs> I'm a married man. Uh, You're no, but even before I was in a married man, that was all. And she, I remember once an actress, young actress came in, auditioned for the show. She was wearing this gorgeous summer dress and I, <laughs> it was hot. And this was a children's show. <laughs> So I'm like, okay, but she was she was talented. So I called her back, and I remember agonizing over it that night. Am I calling her back because she was cute? Am I calling her back because I have a role for her? And so she came to call back, did a nice job, and I had to tell her, you know, I I don't really have a role for you. We bump into each other two or three years later, and at a, one of TBA's mixers. And she says, oh, my God, that's the best audition I've ever had. Thank you so much. And I said, I need to tell you that what you wore, wore in was kind of inappropriate. And, um, I, I, you know, it was a children's show. I, I would hope that you would think about that when you're going in because you are wonderfully talented. That's why I called you back. But, you know, I, are you there to get a role or are you there to get something else? Because that's... Can I speak to that, Norman? Norman, can I please. speak to that? Just a please, second. please. You know that the thing is, is our program. We have to think about what women's programming is as we grow up into being a woman, and also then being our own product. Right? We're selling ourselves. Let's be honest. You know, here's sure. my headshot. Here's my, here's this and this and this and that. You know, and so she she's coming in and doing what she thinks she's supposed to do to get the role. Do you see? Yeah, agree. It's not necessarily 
what she really wants to do, but the programming is so strong that she's not necessarily right. listening to her gut instinct, which is, you know what, I probably don't need to put this much makeup on and put this dress on. It's a kid's show. You know yeah. what I mean? So, but it's, it's yeah. so programmed into us. Oh, you know, my, my son said to me this morning, you look better without makeup, mom. And I'm like, yeah, but I can't not put my face on, you know, and it's, it's, it's like, wow, I have to look at these things, you know, and it's like, bless him. You know, he's trying to tell me it's just, why, why do you need to do that? And I'm like, well, because well, I have right. to. <laughs> yes, you, and there are, there are good reasons. I, what I rest, part of what I wrestled with was, Am I going to say anything to her about it at the time? And I felt it was inappropriate. Yeah, at the time. Like, I'm glad you spoke to her about it later, though. I'm glad you brought it up later. When she brought it to, you know, when she, because she was like, I had such a good time. I'm like, yeah. I, I have to tell you that that was a very disturbing thing for me, because especially yeah. at that time, I was a single man. And I was like, I, and I made a decision as I became a director that I was going to keep a separation there, that I, yeah. You know, as as lonely as I might be, there are plenty of places to find somebody to be with, not these people who are, because of the power dynamic. It's just, ugh. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, I, yeah. and I think, and that's what I was, that was my point as far as leadership from the top down. You know, Corinne and John, they not only cast the show, they not only, you know, they 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 look at the actors as sort of a, a partnership. And I think a lot of other companies should do the same thing where they say, hey, listen, not only do we want to build a show and have a great performance, but we want to model this company that we're building, this theater, as right. a place which is a safe haven for actors to come in. We want actors to say, hey, we want to work with you guys again. I mean, talking with Susan Evans at the Town Hall Theater. Yes. She feels the same way. She'll check in. She'll say, hey, how are you doing? How is this? How is that? I know that if a director comes at me the wrong way, I can go to Susan and say, hey, listen, this is how I feel. Like we've talked about the Moran Shakespeare Company and that yes. you know, horrible uh, Thomas and Sally. I don't know if you heard about this, uh, Lauren. I have not. I'd love to. Tell me all. Well, it was a, it was a, what was it, two years ago, Norman, do you think? Yeah, now. Yeah. So basically, uh, an individual wrote a piece about Thomas Jefferson, the third president, and the supposed a consensual relationship with this 14-year-old slave girl, Sally Hemming. Mm -hmm. And a number of black actresses were like, we have a problem with the play and we'd like to talk about it. This is during the audition process. And basically they were rebuffed. They were like, hey, listen, wow. if, you're not, if you're not down with what we're doing, see you later. Wow. Um, well, the company hid behind the playwright. They'd say, I'm curious, I have questions about this. And they would say, talk to the playwright. And the playwright would say, we've already workshopped this. The play is what it is. Your job is just to figure out how to make it work on stage. Yeah. And it was a disaster. And, you know, it's, it's a stain. Oh, no, it was, it extended and they did very well. And in fact, they even got a grant because of this controversy. Wow. And as soon as that money was spent, they were done with the discussion. They got a grant to discuss it, to work on implementing some racial sensitivity and um as soon as they were done with the money they were like done with the conversation hmm. yeah but it's success for all the wrong reasons don't you think uh no i think it's a dynamic and you know when we're doing modern theater you have to give somebody the live experience that is unique that it has to be unique from something that would be in film something that is just storytelling and so i think on that level they're pushing the boundary where I think the problem was is they did not invite any kind of feedback from any black person besides the playwright. 
they actually had somebody black on staff and she said I was part of that development and I kept trying to bring up issues and I was dismissed as a you know as a lower person on the staff and everybody else just kept it moving along so it's that when you talk about that collaborative piece as a producer I have an idea about what I want the play to be as the director I have an idea about what I want the play to be but when I bring other people into the process if I'm not making space for them to have a voice in this, they don't get to talk everything. They don't get to, you know, dictate the lights or the costumes or any of that. <laughs> if your costume doesn't feel right, that's your issue. If you don't think your costume matches somebody else's, that's up to the director and the costumer. But you have to make that space for people. And I love the human side of this where there's so many companies now, and it's partly because there's so many more women involved in positions of power, where like, we're gonna make childcare available as part of the rehearsal process. Yeah. Hallelujah. Um, because that's thinking about these people and what it is that they are bringing to it and what it is costing them to bring to it. Most theater companies will admit up front, we don't really have that much money to pay you. That is not. That does not give you carte blanche to just do what you want, you're admitting you are deserve, deserving of more than we are giving you. We should therefore be respectful of everything we're getting from you. And not everybody has that attitude. Yeah, yeah, right. the actor has to know their value. I wanted to, uh, to ask you a question, Lauren, because you've done a lot of work on holistic, you, you, you went back, we had a little bit of conversation before we cut the yeah. mic. About well, let me tell you, it's always been, it's always been in my life. Like, uh, you know, my mum went to spiritual uh, churches. She didn't go to a regular church. I wasn't raised with a religion per se. But um, there's, I've always had a very strong intuition. And that would also manifest as, you know, premonitions. Uh, I, I could read people's energy as a young person, which can often be uncomfortable until you have healthy boundaries with it. Right. And then I... Uh, <laughs> Because no, I've well, training. You have to. Yeah, it's not well received if you don't know how to phrase it in a way. Because it's sort of, I would end up blurting it out. You know, I would see something so clearly. And it was, you know, anyway. So I ended up going to psychic school in San Francisco when I arrived there yeah. in 1999. Psychic Horizons, a fabulous place. And what that place really helped me with was creating healthy boundaries around the intuitive self, you know. So we went through meditation. We learned about meditation, cleaning out our chakras, setting up our aura, grounding in present time. And then that just continued my journey. You know, I've studied Vipassana. Um, I'm pretty involved with the Universal Spirit Center here in San Diego. I'm, I'm one of the singers um, here at the Spirit Center. And Yay. it's just been a wonderful journey. Yeah. So I've been doing intuitive readings since I left psychic school and and then I became a massage therapist in uh, 2006. And so I was able to kind of integrate a few things through massage because I will often get information when I'm working on someone and, and then I can just ask permission if it's okay to share what's coming through um, and so on and so forth. So, yeah. yeah. And so you brought that kind of, are you able to bring that kind of thing into your theater work? Oh, most definitely. One of the things that helped me the most, because I'm, I've actually been a pretty shy person growing up. I'm not so shy anymore, especially after two children. Um, and so, <laughs> I'm a tiger. Uh, but um, yes, yeah, so I was fairly shy. I had a lot of insecurities growing up in England and da 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 da. Those, those things, kind of a repressed person, let's put it that way. And I found that some of the psychic school tools, which were before I went on stage, is I would just imagine everybody 
kind of um, uh, as connected. We were all connected to our higher selves in that moment. So we were in agreement to be there that evening to share this experience. And then I would ground the room and I would just own the room with my energy. And that would help, uh, help me stay grounded as I was performing. Awesome. So that was very helpful. Yeah. Well, and then sorry. also, oh, one more thing, Rich. Sorry, I'm, I'm on a roll. No, no, no. I'm, no, we're, lo we're loving this. <laughs> this is, we do not get to talk about this kind of stuff often. This is great. Right. So, so when, I, when it would come to playing a role, I would really know that that role was for me. I didn't get cast very often. I didn't do a lot of auditions. But when I auditioned for something, I would know if that role was mine because I could hear the voice in my head because I'm a happy schizophrenic. But no, I could hear the voice in my head and I would know that that voice was living in me. So I was more of a medium as an actor rather. I don't know. Some people, you know, have a lot of technique and that's a fabulous thing. And I like to think I have technique and this gift, this mm -hmm. ability as a medium. But it would live through me. I mean, it's quite challenging to be around me while I'm working on a play because I'm in this in this other world really for that time. So it was tricky having kids. I didn't feel like I could navigate being such a channel for information and then come home to my kids, you know, and be as present with them as I'd like to be. So mm -hmm. yeah, there was an interesting thing there too. Mm -hmm. but, so, I'm sure, but I'm sure you, you, you know, that, that hasn't been a problem. You've been able to connect and I'm sure you're a wonderful mom. Yeah, I have my moments, but yes, I think yeah. as a mum, I'm very communicative, I'm playful, and I'm honest, and, uh, you know, I, re I read a really good bedtime story, I'll do all the voices and all that stuff, I'm having more fun than they are, probably, um, but, you know, it's a performance, uh, but that leads me to the Rainforest Art Project, where I'm now on camera, we record... Um, art step-by-step uh, -step videos for kids going into the school system and oh. then we also do our education so all of that's filmed and then it's a program that people can buy through the website and bring to their school we supply all the art supplies individually wrapped for each child it's very affordable and it's probably the future because you know teachers are art teachers are being Defunded, out. taken yep. out of the schools, and that's heartbreaking because that's our humanity right there. I swear to goodness, music, art, um, dance—you know, theatre—it's it's how we recognize ourselves and have revelations about ourselves. And mm -hmm. to take that away, and we're just going to become robots, you know, and that's devastating. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I uh, I was very, very motivated watching, you know, the video, the Rainforest Project, and we'll have a link for individuals. Um, and uh, and yeah. just time because in COVID-19 there's going to be a lot of tele, uh, remote teaching and oh, yeah. parents need Hopefully for a while yeah, yeah parents are going to need the resources what do we teach our kids and you know how do we keep them busy I think that would be perfect I think you know art and painting and connecting with themselves through art uh, I think it's wonderful and you're absolutely right I think the school system art is you know almost um third the third choice or it's the third priority fourth priority and i'll tell you arts i mean i went to an arts high school when i was in um at, you know back in dc and it changed my life you know it um gave me a purpose and it changed a lot of our kids lives uh you know we got us off the streets it got us well, yes. off, um you know the uh the the ghetto uh basically so i wow. would highly highly recommend um connecting uh through art um, we might as well get into an origin story. Well, before, uh, just a couple other pieces of quick news. Um, sure, sure. Yes, please. And uh, so one I just sent you this morning, so you probably haven't even seen it. Um, 
And that is uh, Margot Hall, who's a local actress and director, teacher. Oh, I just, just, yeah, I just saw you that. Margot, yeah. Yeah, um, Margot was interviewed by the East Bay Express. They're, they're, you know, in order to support the arts, they're doing this thing where they sort of profile people. And so they talked about her. Now, what was obvious from the article, and she posted today sort of saying, let me correct a couple of things. Like, she and Peter Callender are not married. Their child, they're not raising their child together. Their child is almost 30. <laughs> um, she's in a new relationship, you know. And then she did a big piece about, in the thing, it quoted her and it implied, it was a quote, but it implied that she was saying black actors doing the works of uh, white playwrights, that it's more meaningful for us to do the works of black playwrights. They sort of reduced... The quote, they gave an extensive part of the quote, but she gave it a lot more, a lot better context. She said, I'm not saying that we can't do those. I just did Cal Shakes, she points out, a, a winner's tale. Um, and it was an all black cast or black and people of color cast uh, directed by a person of color. The music, she said, was brought in, you know, very African influenced music. Um, she said they very much felt in their skin and at home doing that. So that's fine. She was talking more to the idea, and she actually cited Cat on a Hot Tin Roof of All Things. She said, I don't want to be in that play where you have characters saying the N-word, and I'm not responding to that as a black person. You know, um, so that kind of casting, which, you know, people will call blind cast, colorblind casting or multicultural casting, that is a little culturally tone deaf. So yeah. she wanted to bring that up and point it out. And I, I felt like that was huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd love to have Margot Hall on. And you're absolutely right. I mean, there are some directors who have this idea, oh, well, let's colorize or let's bring in a minority yeah. and throw them in a role and not even think about how they're responding to the text or, you know, not even having a conversation about yeah. how, how does that feel or how, you know, this feel or whatever. Uh, Lauren, any, any comments on that? <laughs> Well, gosh, we're just, you know, what I hear is that we're, we're upgrading our agreements, right? We're bringing our agreements into present time. And so all the archaic stuff that may have been permissive in the past, it just cannot fly anymore. It's just not appropriate. And we need to have a voice. We all need to have a voice and we all need to be heard. And um, oh, as, as an intuitive, I've been having these dreams where I've literally had a hand around my throat and I'm screaming and I don't have a voice. Ooh. I've had three of these dreams and I'm like, what's it trying to tell me? Um, but you know, quite clearly it's the collective, right? It's just the collective um, energy that we're working through. We're ho hopefully alchemizing it, please. You know, it needs to come to the surface without it coming to the surface. We can't alchemize it. We can't in in integrate. So when these plays come up and they try and cast it a certain way, then that play needs to evolve. Right. You're going to have to change the play uh, to bring to light that you have cast it in a different way, you know? And mm -hmm. so it makes no sense to me that there's no evolution within that development of that play at that time to try or and keep it stuck in the same way yeah for the sense. old plays some plays are just going to become outdated and it's not yeah. like we don't know that we have a history there are libraries full of plays that you pick them up and you read it and you're like can't do this this is archaic can't do yep. it yep yeah and and also and we've talked about this before in other episodes um when a when uh when a leader of a theater company uh whether it's be the artistic director when they just when they decide what their season is 
that itself is an artistic choice, just as much as an actor on stage. And if yes. you make these choices and you don't take into consideration the community that you're in, or the actor- Brethren and sister, oh, sorry. <laughs> I have a Ooh. feeling that's a sound cue for Maddie Mae. I'm, I'm just gonna guess that. But in any case, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, if, if an artistic director, um, makes these choices and they don't think about the community, then you have these problems. Yeah. I, we had a, a guest, Radhika Rao, on, and she talked about being in, I think it was, um, it, was a, it was Hamlet. And mm. they had her as the, uh, the grave digger and a couple of other uh, roles. Mm. Uh -huh. And they said, well, you know, we want you to speak in your native language. You know, she is from India. And so they wanted to, to speak in, in that language. But they, there was a conversation. It wasn't like, oh, let's just throw some ethnicity in there. It's if it's seasoning. We'll just, you know, mm -hmm. a little, let's get a black person in here. And you don't think about what it is to be black and let's say to hear the lines or, to, you know, to see the lines. So I think that artistic directors or whoever makes their season, they need to, to take their community into, um, they need to have that thought in mind. Well, and as a founding member of the African-American Shakespeare Company, that was really high in my thinking from the beginning. How can we take these stories that people may be familiar with or may not and use them to give new life to this tale? Can we do it without changing anything? That's always been my challenge. Can we keep it there? And yet, and the example that I used, I think even maybe last week when we talked, um, is if I put an Asian woman in the maid role, we as an audience are going to have all kinds of assumptions about what an Asian maid is. We don't have to have the actress do anything different. We don't have to change a line. We will automatically start making these assumptions and a smart director and a smart actor are going to take advantage of that. And so the sly maid suddenly becomes a much different role than it would have been 200 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one last bit of the current events. I mean, it's just something that popped up in my head. Uh, there's been, and it's interesting, Lauren, you talked about how a community needs to connect with one another and we need to see each other as, as one. It's wonderful that you have that, that, that in your heart. There are a lot of people, unfortunately, who don't. And there's been no. a couple of um, incidents. <laughs> um, there have been two uh, black individuals. Uh, one is a football player, Deshaun Jackson, and another... Um, I think is an actor who has made anti-Semitic comments, Nick, Nick Cannon. Um, and it's, it, and um, there was a, uh, a woman, Jamel Hill, who was a journalist who talked about, Hey, we talk about black lives matter and, and you know, us being treated with respect, but it goes the other way around. We have to treat others with respect as well. And we can't, you know, allow these anti-Semitic comments to happen and no one says anything about it because, well, we can't talk bad about black people. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a two-way street. Uh, I don't know if you had heard about that or had any thoughts about that, Norman, especially, you know, you're married to, Ma to Mara. Um, oh, I, I thought you were going to say from the other side. From the sports side, I'm like, who? Who did what? You <laughs> don't even know who Deshaun Jackson is. He's a wide receiver. Never mind. <laughs> no, I, you know, it's, if we can be kind... <laughs> Yes. And I keep having to remind myself, I'm actually doing a meeting tomorrow. And um, and yes, I was just trying to download a song that we're going to use hopefully this afternoon. Um, but um, I saw an email about this meeting tomorrow. I didn't click on it because I just don't have <laughs> the bandwidth right now. But young people in the Models Guild that I'm in are pissed and they want change. 
And so mm -hmm. when we were talking earlier about that open letter, the, that living document, um, I read through enough of it to go, well, geez, I think you talk to anybody who's been in the business for 10, 20 years, and they can give you an encyclopedia of how this works. But the problem is that for those of us who've been doing it that long, we've also learned this isn't the place to take a political stand. This isn't the place to make a fuss. I, if I have to decide between keeping this job and just shutting up, I got rent to pay. I'm just going to shut up. And maybe it's time to speak up. So I am learning. I read these things and I'm like, really? <laughs> that pissed you off? That upset you? <laughs> and then I stop myself and I go, well, actually, that is something that's wrong and that's something that shouldn't be allowed. And maybe now is the time to make talk about making that change. Yeah. One last question for you, Lauren, before we get to an oh, yes. story. We've learned so much about you and we're going to learn more because I want to hear about you growing up in England and coming here. And we want to know your, your entire journey. But just politically, uh, are you optimistic about 2020? About I'm sorry, are you optimistic about November? About uh, things changing? Are you liking the COVID? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll COVID tell you, Biden's strange, numbers are up all the way. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, Rich. I was just going to say that Biden's numbers, all of the polls have Biden ahead, so. Well, oh, I just have so much feeling about all of that because, um, you know, I was Elizabeth fan and uh, really feel like a woman in office is really, really necessary at this point. And so many other countries have um, women in office, you know, women as, a, as, as their president. And, we, you know, and, and we had a prime minister like in the 80s who was a woman So in England. So, you know, I mean, it's just for me, that is so vital at this point. So I, I'm upset that she's not still in the running. And I feel like she was pushed out because Biden to me is still controllable. He's already in the system. He's already. Yeah. So, you know. Uh, not a conspiracy theorist, but there's some stuff in there that's like, wow, you know, like the more I hear, I'm like, I want to go back to not knowing so much, you know, but um, what's my point? Am I optimistic? I'm optimistic for the people that are able to sort of rise above the energy of politics and not be dictated by it, that they're manifesting their own new world with or without it. And so I'm optimistic for that energy. A lot of the young folk coming in, the kids seem to be very uh, awake or woke is a trend, trendy word. Um, but they are. And that gives me hope is, is the new the new beings coming in that are just sort of above the chaos a little bit here. And, and I, I'm hopeful for that. Yes, that's where I'm at with that. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree with you. It's uh, I don't know what it's going to take. I thought it was going to happen four years ago with Hillary Clinton. And, you know, really, I think Hillary's still being vilified for really just playing the man's game. I mean, being politic political. She's already in the system. And unfortunately, once you're in the system, you've got the fleas. You know what I mean? Like right. you, you, you're in the system. So you're already in the control energy that's running that world, you know, and whoever's up front is not the one that's running it. Let's be honest, you know, right. so that. That much I understand, you know, and I don't know how Obama survived it for eight years. I'm sure he had to deal with all kinds of funky energy that just wasn't his cup of tea. And uh, so I'm, you know, hat off to him. But uh, I would say mostly by being quiet. <laughs> yeah. And Trump is a catalyst. Let's be honest. He's a catalyst. He's bringing a lot of stuff up to the surface, the past, the stuff that needs to be cleansed. And so I'm hopeful that with this 
excavation of toxins, uh, we will be in a new uh, growth cycle that really accelerates. So oh, that's, yes. That's how I like to think yeah. of it. Yeah. That's, a that's a wonderful analogy. And uh, yeah. I was looking did. forward to um, uh, President Warren. I was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, I mean, let's, who knows, 2024, 2028, I'm still sure. getting, you know. No, hope. no, there's plenty of young folk we can yeah. look at. Yeah. yeah. And with that, let's learn a little bit more about Lauren Grace. Um, okay. So, were you uh, <laughs> were you born and raised in England as a child? I was born and raised in the south coast of England near Brighton, so a seaside town. Uh, uh, mostly the elderly population, you know, back in those days. Uh, but these days, a lot of Londoners have moved down there to, because of overpopulation, and uh, you know, it just makes sense to get out of the city after a while. Um, so I, I enjoyed my childhood, you know, it was, it was cool, but I, I was bullied at school cause I'm an old soul and I was different and I'm fine with that now. Um, mm. but at 10, I had this wonderful teacher who would just stop the class and start doing improv or an art class, you know? And so that's really what changed the direction of my life. I was already studying dance, but I hadn't discovered acting until I was 10, the ripe old age of 10. Um, and then uh, by 11, I, I was lucky enough to go to performance art school, not to be too dramatic, but mostly to save my life because regular school, I was just sort of, my spirit was dying. And so once I got to performance art school, I was like, oh, here's my people, <laughs> you know, and I would go to school when I wasn't well. I was like, I couldn't wait to get there. So, so I was were very you, lucky. Were, you, were your parents um, uh, supportive of that? My mum, yes, my mum was. She she really got it. So she, you know, she was like, I'll scrub floors if it means you'll go to performance art school. So bless her for that, because she did. She did make some sacrifices so I could go. Um, and then I went to Red Roofs Theatre School after that, from the age of 16 to 18. Um, and then from 18 to 21, I got to go to London Studio Centre in London, and I got a full grant back in the day when you could get them. So it paid for my whole schooling and, and they would pay rent as well. So pretty magical times. You study theater there? Well, I got to be a triple thread there. So, cause I'm also a singer and like I say, I used to dance. It's kind of gone by the wayside, but it's, it's still part of my spirit. Um, it, it is, um, yeah, so we would do ballet every morning, like an hour and 45 of ballet every morning. There would be jazz, there'd be tap. Uh, but then I was called an actor bod. You know, there's the dancer bod, the improv bod, the, you know, as in contemporary, contemporary bod. And then I was an actor bod. So, yes, I was going down more the road of theatre and, and singing. Um, but, yeah, and then, I, and then from there I stayed in London and auditioned a bit. And then I was like, I've got to get out of this country. And that's how I felt, like I needed to travel. So I left England at 21 and moved to St. Martin in the Caribbean. Yes, I had to do it. Wow. <laughs> A friend from childhood, she had gone there and she was like, you've got to come out here. So I was like, all right. And so off I went. And, and that's what sort of led me into America. But I I'd had this dream of San Francisco. So uh, while I was at college at London Studio Centre, I worked front of house at uh, the Theatre Royal Drury Lane while Miss Saigon was playing. That was playing there for about six years. Mm -hmm. So I was front of house. I knew all the lyrics to that Bloomin' Musical, whether I liked it or not. And uh, uh, from there, uh, what was my point? Oh, Lord, I lost we'll it. Yeah, anyways, you, yeah. what was it? <laughs> no, you were talking about how you got to America. Um, and Yes, Tales of the City, Armistead Mopin. Oh. Tales of the City. I started reading that book series. A friend of mine from Brazil who was working at that theatre 
you know, he was a lighting guy. And so he introduced me to, to that. And, and so I was like, oh, I want to go to San Francisco. Like my whole being lit up with the idea. And then when I asked myself why that was, it was because I could be myself there. And I was like, well, okay, that's a good enough reason to go. And so with all the kind of traveling, it just gradually kept bringing me more and more towards San Francisco. And then eventually at 25, I just committed to the dream and, and went and it all worked out magically. So by the time I was 28, I was equity. I, I don't know how it all happened, but it did. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Getting back to uh, when you went to school, uh, this is something I'm always fascinated with. You talked about being holistic and, you know, connecting with, you know, your, your inner spirit and, and also the outer spirit. Yeah, um, intuition. Yeah, intuition. I often think as an actor, especially when I'm on stage, you know, a lot of the training that, that a lot of actors have had, like me, are about connecting with your energy. Let's say there are energies that you can't, one of the things that Norm and I, we always talk about is people who usually go to school or try to remove bad habits mm -hmm. or try to control the energy that you can't control. Like, you know, there are mm -hmm. people who overtly cry or they use the theater um, training as sort of therapy because there's yeah. something inside of them that is, is off. And of course, that's not helpful when you're on stage. No. <laughs> uh, can you, were you, in, uh, did it, did the theater training that you had, did it help connect you with your inner self? I mean, was, was that any- Most definitely. That has been always my journey with theater is a role will come along and it will have something that I, Lauren Grace, need to work on. So I always recognize that whenever a role comes along that there's a, there's a lesson in there for me. There's a growth cycle or a, a, an experience in that role that is important for me to, to take notice of. So they're like teachers to me. They, they're like mm -hmm. gifts, you know? Um, so yeah, that's always been my experience. I think when I played Miss Julie, which was a magical moment in time, um, that was that was so much again about the disempowerment of being a female. You know that can happen and has happened over history. You know we're just the baby makers, and you know the man is the one that goes off and has the adventures. And so even though her status was high, really as a woman, she was still low status. So that. That whole play was about playing with the status and, and now I'm in right. power and now I'm not, you know, it was just a, a fascinating thing. And I just thought that that was a real mirror of my own life in a way of just being empowered. You know, am I in charge of my life? You know, am I the one choosing how I want to experience this? And, and yeah, so that was, you know, one yeah, of those it, things. That reminds me so much of the seagull and um, also Hedda Gobbler. Uh, I really wanted to play. Oh, oh you would have. You would have. Was Norma. You would have been yeah. fantastic. It's not too late. I don't think it's too late. No header, header. I want to be header. Yeah, yeah. No, that yeah. would be fantastic. But you're right. I mean, those were the uh, the turn of the century pieces that really focused on the role of the woman and the woman transitioning from being subservient to saying, "Hey, listen, I'm going to, you know, I'm uh, I'm going to initiate my own power or my own identity, mm -hmm. even if it means walking away." It's amazing to to get a education in theater, to learn about that era, and to one to think, wow, that was going on way back then, and then to realize, and that didn't move the dial barely a tick. Exactly, it's Not still enough, going on no. right now. So, yeah. when, did you, when did you come to uh, the Bay? Uh, what what year was it? I'm thinking the nineties. Well, I'm a fan of Prince, so 1999. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I came here in 97. Uh, I tell oh, okay. you, when I, first, when I first came to the Bay, it was just a magical thing. Willie Brown had just so been elected. Magical. 
um, just, you know, like I would walk the streets of Geary or, you know, yeah. there would be, you know, uh, street bands playing. Yeah. Um, it was idyllic. I mean, uh, was it idyllic for you? Yes, 100%. I felt at home in a way that I had not felt at home in my body and on the planet. Like I always felt misfit in England. And so coming to San Francisco, uh, whether I've had a past life there, I don't know, Reg, but um, mm -hmm. there was just a feeling of real uh, home. It was home, it was home. And it was a magical time because it was, for me, the dot, dot com era, it was just like gold rush time. It was just really booming and blossoming. And uh, I, I had a blast, yeah, I felt mm -hmm. so, yeah. so lucky. How did you get involved in the theater in the Bay? Did you just start auditioning? I mean, I'm sure you had a resume and you just, you know. You, no, I didn't actually, because all I, you know, I had left England at 21. Um, you know, I, I had training is what I had. And so what I did was I had taken a break from acting <laughs> um, and was just having a lot of fun, actually, Reg, I'll be honest, I'll, I'll confess, a <laughs> lot of fun. And uh, from there, I was like, I'm ready to get back into theatre or have an experience of theatre here in uh, San Francisco. And I really didn't know that there was this thriving theatre community. I was very innocent. But I went and took some evening classes at ACT, and that's really what got me back in the, in the pool. And then from there, I started doing theatre with bare bones, Oh. Do you have any memory of Bare Bones? I've heard of them, but I don't know. Yeah, it was a long time ago, and it was Bare Bones, but it was a lovely group of people, and I got to do a lovely production called Desdemona, A Tale of a Handkerchief, and that's what got me the role of Desdemona in Othello, even though it was mm -hmm. a comedy, uh, which I love comedy, huge fan. Um, so, yeah, Desdemona, Tale of a Handkerchief, hilarious. Just the three characters, just the three women. Um, so that, that happened through that theater and then it kind of moved on to gorilla gorilla shakes and etc cetera, etc cetera. so so i did have a lovely connection with linda from the phoenix theater i actually yeah, lived linda with her for a little while yeah yeah linda i lived there yeah. for a while i used to live with her and then we did a play called um unhampered by sanity and i oh that's such a great title hmm. um un <laughs> unhampered by sanity so I played like a Courtney Love character, you know, and this ghost of um, a, an artist from the past. She, she, anyway, I can't remember all the details, so I'm going to try not to go into it because I'm going to find myself at a full stop. Um, she was a Dadaist, Dada, Dada, you know Dada? Yeah, the Dada movement. Yes, yeah. yeah, so she was a character, she was a, a, a real artist from there. And so she came as a ghost to talk to this Courtney Love character and they kind of, come to this beautiful you know connection and and uh, clarity because she's lost her partner to suicide right the courtney right. love character yeah yeah anyway so she was coming there to commit suicide and so this artist from the past this dadaist brings her to um say, stay alive stay alive stay alive and then mm. i did cooking with elvis which is the same writer as <laughs> um billy elliott um uh -huh. And it's this 14-year-old girl who's a gastronomist, so she uh, loves cooking. And so that's all. And her father is a paraplegic, but he used to be an Elvis impersonator before a very bad accident. So he's wow. in a wheelchair the whole time. And so she thinks she's going to bring him back to life with cooking. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a really funny play. And then every time everyone's off stage, he gets out of the wheelchair and starts doing an Elvis impersonation. Oh, it's a fantastic cool. play. I encourage you to read it. It's just that yeah. would be a fun one to do 
via Zoom. It's just it's just really fun. Yeah. Here's a quick, um, here's, here's a quick question for you, uh, Lauren. Um, were yeah. you getting Were you getting the most out of Bay Area theater, or uh, was there a point where you're like, I need to move on? Um, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What got you to San Diego? <laughs> well, I. Um, so I was, you know, following the path of a massage therapist as well as working in theater. And um, uh, I think it was around the time of, I think, Monkey Room uh, at The Magic. And then I, I had a bee in my bonnet about going to New York for a little while. I needed to go to New York and have that experience for some mm -hmm. reason. Um, and so I was like, what, 34? So it's pretty late in the game, I'd say. Um, and I did, I had a wonderful, almost a year there, but uh, I had a boyfriend at the time that I met through massage. And so um, he, we got pregnant while I was in New York and that changed the course of my um, life. <laughs> so that kind of, I did one more play after having Orlando, um, which was Wirehead and that was, you know, but the, the last two plays that I did, I, I, I died on stage, both plays. So I kind of got the message. But maybe it was time. <laughs> interesting, interesting. You don't. Uh, I, was a little, I, mean, I was a little sick of myself, Reg. I was sick of myself as a product. And so getting pregnant was a beautiful uh, next phase of life. And I needed it because I needed to have a deeper experience of life. I was playing other people. Uh, but I didn't really know fully who I was. And now I get to play myself. Whenever I'm singing on stage, I'm myself. Whenever I'm working as this art teacher person, I'm myself, you know, I'm just always myself. I'm not playing someone, someone else. And I think that was a necessary growth, you know? Wow, now no, no, that's fantastic. Are your kids involved in theater at all or, or art at all? <laughs> yes, I would say my eldest son is definitely an artist. He's, he's um, I think, probably more on the... I could see him being a singer and musician at some point, and he loves to draw. Um, my partner, my husband, is also an artist, and so, so you know, arts is, is our in our blood. So, my youngest one is a little more sporty and, and seems to like guns. So, I'm not sure what to do with that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he's such a sweetheart, so I'm a little bit confused by the gun thing. But hey, you know, whatever. Well, he's not a right winger. I, I, I no. that would happen. No, it's no, just no. playtime. Norman, I had a question for you. It's interesting, Lauren had talked about, um, I guess, losing your identity or, you know, you play so many other different individuals. As a, I, I, that caught my attention as well. I, I thought so. Yeah, as an equity actor for you, Norman, do you ever worry about, I don't know, just being so much involved in theater that you lose your own personal identity? No, no. I, what I found in recent years is I am happy to find the ways that I can be this character. You know, and it's something I talk about when I'm teaching, you know, that there are a bunch of different, everybody has different roles that they play every day, pretty much, without thinking about it. Your son, your daughter, mm -hmm. your parent, your worker, you are a public transit rider. You know, mm -hmm. there are all kinds of different things that we do. Um, and that, and we take on a role for each of those. So it's great. Anytime you go to an improv class, one of the Nothing easiest fun. things the improv teacher gets to say to you is, you already do improv. You do it every day. You wake up in the morning. Is there a script sitting next to your bedside that tells you what you're going to say today? No. But you know when you walk downstairs, downstairs and you see the little old lady from downstairs, you're going to say, hey, Mrs. Allen, and she's going to say, hey. And you're going to walk out. You know, you know what you're going to do. You know how you're going to get through it. And to take that energy, that awareness into acting was huge. I went, oh, 
So you were talking, and I remember one of the roles that just I fell in love with. I did a play called uh, Emmett and Ava, about two young people who had been killed and their parents coming together after their death. Oh, um, wow. This isn't Emmett Till, is it? Or uh, no, uh, no, but he's obviously named for Emmett Till. No, it was a uh, car accident. They were young people. They were in a relationship. You told me about this. I remember yes, this. Yes, and the other parents did not know about the relationship. So here I am, a black man showing up at these white people's house to go. That wasn't just some black guy driving your daughter. That was, they were in love. They had traveled and done stuff and were, if they hadn't made plans for marriage, they were talking about the seriousness of the relationship. They know none of this, and I have to bring this to them. Well, that's just acting. But the idea, I have no children, the idea that my child, the child of my loins, has died, and I then have to go out and talk to the world about what that means. As an actor, that might have been a challenge in college, or you know, even for a decade or two after college. But at this point, where I'm dealing with an 18-year-old stepson, it's very easy to think about every little moment that would be in your mind as you're remembering this person who is gone and to bring all that to life. It was amazing. And so I didn't feel like I became another person. I felt like that character fit on me. And the weird thing with the job was that I got it after they had already cast it. Mm. <laughs> they cast it and the other guy wasn't working out. I had read well in the audition, but I wasn't the physical type he thought he wanted for the role. After a week or two of working with this guy, they were like, no. And they ended up bringing me back in. And I was like, this is great. I don't have to create a person for this. I just have to live in the reality of this character. It was it was fantastic. So it, the question comes up for me every now and then, am I done acting? And because there was a time where I loved the excitement and the challenge of being all these different people. And now I'm, the question I start with is always, who am I, who in this, who am I in this character? What about this yeah. character is me that I can bring to it? Right, exactly. And, um, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, that's exactly it. I think that's that's how I experience acting, and 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 why I don't feel the strong desire to go back to it now is is that same question. Is like, what can I bring to it? I feel like mm -hmm. the 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 world in which I'm in right now is I get to bring myself every day, and I get to bring all of the wisdom and knowledge that I had from working as an actor. Is is deep listening. You know, being yep. present, it's, it's like, how often am I present in my life? That's the question I ask. How often right. am, I, am I really there, really receiving, really listening? And that was always one of the biggest acting guidance yep. moments that were given to me is, you know, really be, you know, really be it, you know? So I think that's why it also can take so much from a person. And one of the reasons why I'm on pause or whatever I am is that it can take so much, you know, it takes yeah. much of your presence. If you're really being present with it, you know, is that yeah. it, it's with you all day. It's with you. It's, it's, yeah, it's living. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's yeah. interesting, you know, as, as actors, all we're really doing is connecting with the audience. Of course we connect right. with them. We do what the director tells us to do. But we want to, we are connecting with, you know, my scene partner and whatever, but we want to convey an emotion from the audience. We want the audience well, to... And to bring, right, to bring that experience to them. Yeah. Take and a no, journey. I would say the taking big a challenge, journey. Yeah, exactly. And it sounds big, like you're... Go ahead. 
the big challenge for me these days is the other end of the spectrum. I didn't, because I've been, I felt a freedom once I started saying, well, I can find all these different roles in me. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now I'm finding myself like I've played old guys a couple of times now. And I tend to think, well, I got to like do something to be that old guy. And now I'm like, no, actually, <laughs> A, I am an old guy, but B, there's so many parts of being an old guy that I, in my personal life, am working against. Like, my voice is still vibrant. I want that. But if I'm playing an older character, then maybe my voice just isn't as vibrant. Yeah. You know? yeah. My physicality. I'm trying to take care of my body because I want it to last. I would love to get yes. at least another two or three decades. But, yeah. you know, I, but that takes an effort. I can feel the places where the body just wants to give up. And I can let that be a part of my character. And I've actually worked with characters that work with canes. And people will say, wow, you, so do you use a cane? And I'm like, do you see me bouncing up and down the stairs? You know I don't use a cane. Yeah. But yeah. the character does. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing. I, I don't feel 51, although I am. Right. Well, this is what 51, I'm trying to correct people's language on this. This is what 51 feels like. Everybody else has this messed up, including you, have this messed up idea what 51 is. This fantastic body that you have, this vibrant, alive body that you have, that's 51 for you. Yes. Not for everybody else, but for mm -hmm. you. And I say that all the time. I am 60. And people are like, oh, but you look 50. I don't care what I look. Yeah. <laughs> I am 60. I am happily 60. I plan yeah. on being happily 100. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Lauren, I was going to ask you, I mean, uh, the connection. How old am I? No, <laughs> no he made that mistake last week. <laughs> no, you look, you look fantastic. I have no shame. I'm 45. I have no shame in my age. I've earned it. Mm -hmm. I've earned it. You make 45 look fantastic. No, you Thank really you, Norman. But uh, you, you have a connection with, I mean, do you, do you have one-on-one, -on -one, the work that you're doing now, the Rainforest Project, are yeah. Do you connect one-on-one -on -one with um, with students, or is it just an interactive thing where you do the video and you ship the products? It, um, do you do you, inter do you interact with, with students? It's a growing role, so I believe there's going to be more time going back in, in going into schools. I say going back into schools because I have gone into schools quite a lot because I've had other art jobs, art teacher jobs. Uh, where I was working at a school called Newbridge, which was a school for kids with learning difficulties, and they had funded themselves to have an art program. So we would go in every Wednesday and work with each class, each class, and it was their favorite class of the week, and it was my favorite too because these, you know, I just related to these kids. I, you know, I struggled in school academically. You know, maybe I would have been called dyslexic. Now I don't know, but it's not something that I have a problem with now I just I guess I had some blocks but whatever so um point is is I can relate to these kids and I have compassion and empathy and playfulness and permission permission to not be great permission to make mistakes happy accidents and all that good stuff um but with the rainforest it's interesting because I've been into schools where they have the program in place and I've got to say my ego likes it so all the kids are like oh, you're the lady from the video you know and they're like oh what an Oh, and I'm awesome. like, what is <laughs> happening? You know, wasn't prepared for that, but it was very sweet. It was totally lovely. So, I, you know, I, I see a future in this. The more schools that take on this program, who knows where it could go um, as sort of a, uh, I don't know, just as a person that is an art teacher and, and get, I get to work with all these kids without meeting them. But I, I would like to meet them. Let's put it that way. I would like to meet them, you know. 
Yeah, you know, it's when I think about my time at junior high school, I was sort of, I felt strange. I felt like, you know, I was a, a quirky kid. And there was a, a teacher named Calendar. Uh, he was a, he called himself a griot, as well as a, um, a, a regular teacher. A griot is like an African storyteller. Oh, beautiful. He, he, you know, he was an English teacher, but he incorporated improvisation and he allowed us to do all sorts of artistic things. I remember doing Jack London's um, um, To Build a Fire. And I recorded myself on my tape recorder at the time while I was interacting with, you know, like I was, yes, it's almost like word for word where my voice is reciting what's on the story and I'm mm -hmm. sort of acting things out. But he allowed us to do that. And the fact that he allowed us kids to do that made learning uh, such fun. And yes. uh, it, and I think that's the connection that you're having with the kids and what the program has with the kids as well. I think that art is so, so important to, uh, to breaking walls. It breaks cultural barriers yeah. so that kids don't see each other as, you know, as these little cliques or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and also it grows within yourself because you can see the talent within yourself. So I think the work that you're doing is really, really valuable. You know, and it's calming. It's calming to our nervous system. I don't know about you, but my nervous system has had a workout for, for quite a few years now. And, you know, adrenal fatigue, you know, and so art yep. has been saving my life personally. So I get the value of it. And um, to share that, you know, with like my meditation and yoga teacher background and, and all of this stuff is like I bring all of that into the room. So we do a little bit of breath work. We do a little bit of meditation. We can, you know, we, we, we connect, we ground, we get present, and then we have an art experience. And, and it's always about permission. It's not about perfection. It's not about end product. It's about being in the moment as it unfolds. And that's what I'm in it for. That's, that's, that's my message every day, every day, every day. So no, that, get that's to share that. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And we have hit the uh, the one hour mark. It's one twelve. No way. I want to be respectful of people's time. Now, oh, it, you're so Yeah, sweet. We, we are definitely running to a, a crazy rehearsal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's going to yeah. be a fun rehearsal. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> well, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. So I'll uh, I'll click on that link and say yes, please. So yeah, I'd love to absolutely. See it, be an audience member. Lauren, I wanted, to get, I wanted to have you have the last word. I mean, what, what are your lasting <laughs> memories? hopefully wonderful memories of Bay Area theater. Oh, well, it's got to be the, the family that I made there, you know, all the different friends that I've worked with. It's so, it's so intense to work on a play, whether it's a comedy or a tragedy or whatever, or a drama. It, it's really about those beautiful connections and, and uh, the honesty that you get to uh, unfold and, and uh, getting to do those performances over and over again and, and mine them for new and exciting moments, you know? So um, I love it for that. I love yeah. it for all of that. I didn't realize that you lived with Linda S. Frederick. How did, how did that happen? I did. Well, that's a good question. Oh goodness. This is where my beautiful memory. Uh, mm. da, 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 da. Um, you know, I can't remember. I can't recall. I mean, were you like, just the way theater works. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, 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 go right ahead. A lot of different abodes during that time. And I think she was probably my last abode before I moved in with Paul Santiago. So, mm. uh, yeah, I just needed a place to live. And she had an, an extra room in her large uh, Victorian house, which was quite magical in Cole and Carl. And um, yeah, and then, yeah, it was lovely. She's a lovely woman. She's yeah. A I was going to add, go ahead. Sorry. No go, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Norman. 
I was going to ask how you got to San Diego. My folks live in San Diego. What neighborhood are you in? I'm actually out by Chula Vista. I'm in Chula Vista now, so I'm quite okay. close Chula to the border. Vista. Yeah, Chula, Chula Vista, Vista, baby. I love that song. Yeah, uh, yeah no, they're in a normal height, so I always have to ask because I, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a, na a neighborhood named Normal Heights. I know. Well, that's and I love true. saying, well, my folks live just outside of Normal Heights. <laughs> That's where the Spirit Center is, and so I go there a lot. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, you go, um, what's the cafe? Uh, Lestat's. Yes, yes. If Lestat. you go in the morning, well, you can't do any no, of that right, right now, now. but yeah. in normal times, my stepfather was there probably every morning, tall, white, old, white man, sitting in the front, in the front window with a group of people every morning. Wow, yeah, that was his spot. That's his spot. Yeah, well, my husband's from, well, he's Filipino, but he grew up in San Diego. So his whole family's here and we wanted to have a second kid. And so we have grandparents, uh, you know, great. because I'm in this country by myself. Uh, and that really shows up when you start having children. It's interesting who shows up and who disappears from your life all of a sudden right. when you're like, could you help me? Um, so, yeah. You said he's an artist too. Uh, theater. He makes he makes stuff. So during this is um, no, it's not theater, but he's an he's a uh, you know I consider myself an artist now rather than an actor. I'm just a, a broader a broader broadest title of artist. Um, he he hand makes items. Um, we've been making all of these masks uh, for uh, oh that's fantastic the, the COVID thing and that helped us a, a lot through. Yeah, that helped us through an interesting, suddenly, you know, no no work, right? All of my jobs are going in and dealing with large groups. So all of my work just came to an end quite abruptly. And so we started making masks and that's been fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so he's beautiful, here beautiful. You, yeah, uh, sad to hear that you met you. It sounds like you guys lost a little bit of money because of COVID-19. Just, well, yeah, yeah, because I'm the income, and so that just all stopped, and so uh, that was a mm -hmm. bit of a shock. But because we already had this little business called Good To Be Green, where we're making these pocket belts, you know, like the festival belts, but sort of a modern version. We have a little mm -hmm. Etsy store now, and so that's a little sideline business. Uh, we were doing, you know, a farmer's markets. You know, he would take all of his handmade. He makes all these pop art bags, you know, so it's all these kind of funny cultural humor things and they're on bags so you know it just makes people chuckle it's kind of a, a darling thing really um you know wearing art they wear art yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is bags. fantastic yeah and, uh, hearing the story of you and uh, linda is for it to get funny you know it's a small world you never know who yes. is with who but it's, yeah. you know, the theater community is not just about putting together a show but it's also connecting with people and uh yeah. you, you totally exemplify that all right, uh, shout outs, birthdays. Okay, birthdays. Um, Want me to go first? I, I got, uh, oh. so today, uh, you mentioned last week, I always start with Saturday, so Saturday is today. Marisa Wanless, yep. who um, it turns out I've worked with a long time. She was at Mills College in classes when Oakland Public Theater was in residence there, and she interned on some of my shows, which was fantastic. Turned around and a couple of years ago, three years ago now, I guess, hired me to, she was with a small company, Utopia Theater, hired me to be in some of their shows. And then we both were in As You Like It last summer uh, with uh, SF Shakes. She and her husband and their new child, Orlando, if you know As You <laughs> Like It, you know where that name came from. Um, they are uh, living in, uh, I'm not sure, New Hampshire, Vermont, somewhere up in there. <laughs> 
but big spread. Anyway, today's her birthday. Tommy Shepard. If you don't know Tommy Shepard, you should. Uh, Red Ladder Theater Company. I know him because I was in a show with his now wife, then girlfriend, and uh, and this whole crew of people. Tommy, Dan Wolf, um, blanking on his name, Gindel. Uh, there's this whole crew of people who were doing hip hop theater. They were creating it. Hip hopera was one thing that oh, they made. Cool. Um, but uh, they have been around forever. And Tommy is currently in a group called two groups. One called Antique Naked Soul. Um, they do soul music, no instruments. He's a beatbox fiend. Oh, I love it. And so that's been amazing. And then uh, the I think they're called the Alphabet Rockers. And they were up for a Grammy uh, like a year or two ago. Um, you know, um, rap for kids, and they actually have young people involved in some of the music that they make. So anyway, his birthday today. Um, Natasha Young, I mentioned, oh, that was yesterday. Uh, somebody I went to high school with, Michael Orland, uh, we did musicals in high school. He now teaches music, piano, at Cal. Wow. <laughs> it's weird, yeah, it's weird when you grow up and that stuff happens. And since we're talking about roots and where we came from, my <laughs> sister-in-law's birthday is coming up tomorrow, so i got to make sure I call. Uh, you learn something when you look these things up. Vicky Kagawan, um, who I knew by another name, so i got to look that up and see. I think she might have gotten married. Anyway, dynamic actress, uh, Filipina up in the North Bay. Tim Araneta is somebody I met through improv, and then he started working, I believe, for the Chabot Science Center or, or the... Um, What's the other one? The uh, Lawrence. It was one of those where she, he came in and was doing, you know, using theater games to teach science. And I think he has been doing that this whole time. Like we've known each other a couple of decades or more. Um, James Paul Gregory is an actor. I'm not sure I've actually met, <laughs> but uh, we are friends on Facebook. Um, and am I done with actor Stanley Springer? Stanley is somebody who I've barely interacted with. I don't think we've actually ever done a theater project, um, but he was, and I think still does run the um, Subterranean Shakespeare. Uh, it's a small company up in Berkeley. Um, and they were initially at Laval Subterranean. That's where the name came from, but I don't think they're there anymore. Um, and am I done with... Good God, there's a lot of people this week. <laughs> Kim Myrick is a tech that I've worked with uh, with the African American Shakespeare Company. Hopefully, I can cut down. Uh, Jean Johnstone is an actress that I got to do uh, Love's Labor's Lost with. I got to play Barone. I heard that Barone is like the fifth largest line load in, of all of Shakespeare. That was a lot of work. And she was my romantic partner in that. That was great. John Strain, guy I went to college with. He was very strong in theater. I hope he's still doing it. Uh, Sam Suboda is an actor, uh, Filipino, I believe, uh, but his picture has him with a surfboard, so I don't know what he's doing these days. And um, I'll finish up with the last two. Laura Brookman is somebody who I know is just somebody who's very supportive and enthusiastic about theater, but I'm, when I say supportive, somebody who helps with fundraising and doing stuff. That's nice. No, wait, I'm confusing it with somebody else. No, this is um, <laughs> actually the dramaturg. Uh-huh. Laura Brookman, the dramaturg. I, uh, we met uh, Bay Area Playwrights Festival. We were on a committee together. And finally, Katja Rivera, a dynamic director. And I met her uh, doing Each One Reach One. It's funny, mm -hmm. my Each One Reach One crew I will always love. 
I miss, I kind of miss those days going into juvenile hall and dealing with a bunch of knuckleheads trying to make them write plays, but our crew was the re thing that helped us get through. So Kacha's yeah. birthday is coming up Friday. <laughs> that is my big list. All right, wow. I'll do uh, my list. My list is a little smaller. Um, I hope so. <laughs> three days ago, <laughs> three days ago, Dan Wilson, he had a birthday and uh, he has a theater company and uh, he and I were on stage. <clears throat> we did Civil War Christmas together. He was, um, what's the guy who killed uh, Lincoln? Um, Booth. Booth. John Wilson Booth. And also three days ago, Kimberly Ridgway. And of course, we've had her on yeah. FDA. Fantastic actress and playwright. Um, Tomorrow, um, someone who I went to school with at Duke Ellington, Lori Goff, she is a fantastic uh, actress. I, I don't know if she still acts, but she's in the uh, DC area. Also tomorrow, Glenda Solis, a fantastic actress. Uh, she and I were on stage. We did um, The Marriage of Betten Boo by Christopher Durang. Um, on Monday, Caroline Clay, we're not, I don't know if we're directly related. We have the same last name, but um, who knows, maybe distant cousins or whatever, but she has, she, she uh, grew up, she graduated from Duke Ellington. She was a class ahead of mine and she's been doing a lot of stuff in film and television and her career has really taken off. Yay. So you know, give her, uh, wish her happy birthday. Also Stephen Collins and he and I uh, recently did a reading uh, of of a play for the Playwright Center for San Francisco. He's a fantastic actor and he regularly works with the Playwright Center and he's a fantastic uh, guy. So his birthday is on Tuesday and I think the last one, actually two, Ashley Rockwood Melger. Uh, her birthday is also Tuesday and she and I, uh, we did Bat Boy the Musical at the Ray of Light. Oh, Life. wonderful. And th yeah, that's a fantastic musical. Uh, mm -hmm. really, really fun. Um, matter of yeah. fact, um, Jim, uh, James Iglehart directed that before he won his Tony. Oh, nice. Uh, also on Saturday, uh, and usually I don't even go beyond Saturday, but Tom Farris, <laughs> his birthday will be uh, a week from today, and uh, he and I were on stage. We did 110 in the Shade at the Douglas Watson Theater. 110 in the Shade is an adaptation of uh, The Rainmaker, and I oh. was uh, Bill Starbucks, the black Bill Starbucks, so that was cool. And that's it. Uh, that was plenty. Yeah. <laughs> there, was a, there was something going on nine months ago throughout history, apparently. There's a lot yeah, of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you want to promote Maddie May? Uh, I was going to let you. Well, I'll do Maddie May. You do, um, you do uh, radio golf. Or okay. you want to flip it? <clears throat> so I'll do radio golf. You do Maddie May, and I'll do Anga Spia. So uh, radio golf, uh, that is an August Wilson piece. Um, this, it seems to be an August Wilson thing going on. Everyone's doing it. Um, Norman and I, we will be uh, on doing that. And that will be Wednesday, I believe the 22nd. Yes. Yeah, 22nd. And that will be, I believe, 5, I want to say 5 p.m. 5.30. I think we'll open up the waiting room at 5 p.m. Yeah, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So we invite everyone to check that out. And once again, if you want to, the, the thing, the reason why we're not posting the Zoom links just automatically is that sometimes uh, these plays have to be limited. Uh, the audience has to be limited. So to control that, uh, we ask for people to ask for the links. So right, you yeah, you have to RSVP and then you'll get the link. Exactly. So Radio Golf, I forget who is it. I think it's the Charlottesville Theater Company. Uh, yeah, I, I was looking that up. C-H-A-P. I'm not sure exactly what that stands for. Yeah. 
But uh, Leslie, I don't know Leslie's last name, but she is running it. I believe she's directing it. Uh, she, she was in the last August Wilson piece that you and I were in. Gem of the Ocean. That was fantastic. Beautiful. So in any case, on Wednesday the 22nd, we have um, Radio Golf. August Wilson, Norman and I will be in it. Norman? Great. Uh, on That's on Saturday. Well, Radio Golf is. No, Radio Golf is Wednesday. No, Radio Golf is Saturday. Okay. <laughs> Maddie May is Wednesday. Trust uh, me. I'm sorry. I am the director. <laughs> Maddie May is Wednesday. Welcome. Maddie welcome. May is Wednesday. Don't you dare go to the wrong Zoom meeting. You got it. You got it. And we're involved in both of these. Ridge is in. Uh, Maddie May and I already talked about it a bit. Richmond, uh, the shipyards. Um, the name is um, a fictional a fictionalization of Minnie Lou's, which was a popular diner back in the day. Um, and she actually managed to be the first African-American woman to get her liquor license because she was running a juke joint at night. So we get to see our characters working at the shipyards, coming in in the morning or lunch to get their food, and then coming and being some of them part of the band. Uh, and she's woven at least four or five different stories where we get to see just what all the things that were going on in that world for those people. Uh, so that'll be a lot of fun. And that's Wednesday, 5.30. I think our waiting room will open up at 5. Yeah, and that's the one you'll get an RSVP for. I guess also for Radio Golf, you have to sign in and then you'll get the link. Um, and they're both, I, I'm not sure about Radio Golf. Maddie May is... Well, they're both fundraisers, so I guess technically that means they're free. If you have no money, don't let that be an impediment to you getting in. Go ahead, Rich. What else? <laughs> All right, <laughs> and that will be um, so. Oh, shucks, it's radio. So Wednesday will be Maddie May. Wednesday will be Maddie May. Exactly. Wednesday the twenty-second is Maddie May. All right. Saturday the twenty-fifth is Radio Golf. And just before uh, Radio Golf will be um, Bendelsif Studios, which is a Philippine company. Uh, they are having uh, two, I believe, two stage readings, uh, actually three stage readings. Uh, one will be the play that I've written uh, called Ang Espia. Ang Espia is an adaptation of Bertolt Brecht's play, The Informer, part of his series of 100 years of, I'm sorry, his series of Fear and Misery in the Third Reich, basically life in the time of Hitler and we're adapting it to times in the life of Trump. And it deals with oh. a Philippine family who has to deal with uh, the uh, ICE raids, mm. things like that. Mm. So it's a quick play. Also, along with that, um, Conrad Panganaban has a play called Mr. Kilikili's Mom and his huh. So uh, Bimsliff is calling it the Quinto Stage Reading Series, and that'll be July the 25th at 8 p.m. And I'm very, very happy to have uh, Bimsliff uh, produce and promote uh, one of my plays. So, so we're first, Radio Golf, yes. then your show. Then on the spia. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So there you go. <laughs> well, Lauren, anything you want to put a shout out to? Anything you want to promote or just... Chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just, you know, the, the Rainforest Art Project, if anyone's looking for an art program for their school, uh, this is a great comprehensive program and you can uh, go to the website www.rainforestartproject.org if you would like to find out more and you can contact us and speak to us in person and all of that good stuff. So, Yay. yeah. 
And Yay, also, thank you, you guys. And you have a wonderful YouTube video as well, and we'll put a link to that as well. Uh, yeah, Lauren, yeah. Lauren, did you have a good time? I had a fantastic time. Thank you. Thank yeah, you so much. Lovely spending time with you guys and hearing about your stories too. I appreciate it. Appreciate you sharing. Yeah, and we appreciate you sharing as well. So for anyone who's watching, you're probably watching on YouTube or you clicked on the link via um, Facebook. But uh, you can. we invite you to click subscribe and uh, continue to follow the yay. Once again, we are so thankful that we are being sponsored by Central Works who are reinventing theater one play at a time. And we invite other theater companies, if you're thinking about um, participating in a sponsorship for the Yay, contact me directly. Um, <clears throat> if you're watching this, you can um, link and subscribe uh, via YouTube. If you're listening to this via uh, audio only, uh, you can subscribe uh, via the Apple Podcast app or uh, via soundcloud.com or just download the SoundCloud app. That's it. Thank you so yep. much. And as, Norm, as Norman and I always say, you've got to find a better sign off. And we <laughs> are out. <laughs>